Welcome to the Kingdom Life Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Nilsson, speaker, author, and yes, life coach. We live in a noisy world with a million external influences vying for our attention. This is the space where we can quiet the noise, sort out our thoughts through honest conversation, and discover what it looks like to take aligned, faith-filled action in a world of endless possibilities. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Kingdom Life Coaching Podcast. I'm excited for today's topic because it just hits me in all the places of my humanness. Did God really say, did he really say I'm supposed to do that? So before I get started in this topic, I want to thank you all of you who have taken time to to rate and review this podcast, it's amazing to go in and see your words of encouragement. And those of you who have gone onto Amazon to review my book, Untangled Faith and the journal. And I wanted to do a shout out. This is just a verified purchase. I don't know the name of this Amazon customer, but I want to thank you for going on to Amazon on June 3rd and writing this review. It says, this author has nailed it on several levels. Thank you so much. Just call me like Mary Lou Retton. Nailed it. She guides you through a fact-finding process that leaves you with a clear plan for your day and beyond. Yes, that was the intention. There's a piece of scripture at the beginning of the journal, each journaling day, for example, which you comment on, and then after a few more steps, she rounds you back to it. God is clearly a part of this process because each and every time I gain more understanding of the same scripture, if that makes sense. Listen, this is my own addition here. Of course, it makes sense. Isn't that crazy? Scripture is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we can go into the exact same verse and hear something different. It will hit us in a new way. God can bring new revelation out of the exact same words on the page because his spirit is in it. So that's amazing. This reviewer continues to write, God is clearly a part of this process because each and every time I gain more understanding of the same scripture. Yes, the huge win for me is hearing God's words for me in relation to my concerns, my worries, my praises, my wailing. Yes, that I have written out. It has truly become the highlight of my time spent with God each morning. I always thought I was too busy to take that time. And now because of this journal, I won't give it up. That's amazing. Thank you so much for writing that real and honest review. Isn't that the crux of the matter? The pain point that we all feel. We are like, I don't have time to do this. I am too busy. My life is too busy. My morning's too busy. And I don't have time to meet with God. And yet this customer is saying, listen, I ordered the journal. And now, because it's so transformational, I won't give it up. I can't not do this. So thank you for for jumping in and for writing that review. I am so, so very, very thankful. Today, I want to talk about a concept that I have written about in the book. And it's, it's this moment of questioning, did God really say that. I don't know about you, but for me, this journey of following Jesus is not, it's not for the faint of heart. I don't think, I don't think anyone wakes up one morning is like, you know what? I think I'm going to strap my cross, my cross on today. Just kind of carry my cross, die to myself, follow Jesus. That sounds like a good day. I mean, when, when we're actually doing that, we know 
that that is where true life is found, that freedom and truth and grace and holistic flourishing living is found at that place of dying to yourself and allowing Jesus to fill your spirit and live and move and have your being in him. But on that human level, this journey of following Jesus is just kind of for the hearty spiritual sojourner. Yes, I use the word sojourner. I feel like we don't use it enough. So if you're here and you're listening to this, chances are very high that that is you. You are willing to strap on that backpack and launch out into the great beyond because you believe that there's something more for you out there. That what we see in the natural realm is not all there is. All this pain and brokenness exists and we recognize it and we live in it and we we grieve and we feel and yet we go, you know what? The God of the universe created me. He loves me. He's calling me deeper into himself and he's calling me out into the great beyond into a kingdom, the kingdom of God. What even is that? Where, where is he taking me? So if you're here, it's likely because you are ready to do that kind of work. It intrigues you and you, you're, you're, you've got this stirring, this idea that maybe you are ready to, to venture outside your comfort zone. I know it's a tricky place to be. And if you haven't listened to episode four already, I love that episode. It's it's titled, Is the Comfort Zone Really All That Bad? Go and listen to that because I tackle this question of like, I mean, I like the comfort zone. Why wouldn't I want to just stay in my cozy comfort zone? And I make an argument for the fact that Jesus is so compelling the invitation of the spirit is so compelling that it would compel us to to walk outside of a comfort zone because we know and we believe that something greater awaits us if we will take that first step. You are probably the type of person who's saying, you know what, the world's good, quote unquote good. It no longer satisfied. I've tried living the way of the world. It no longer satisfies me. I want God's best. If that's you, that's me. I'm so glad we have found each other. I've mentioned that before. Then we are each other's people. And so we are ready to jump into that. What does it look like to hear from him and journey out of the life of faith? My guy, Oswald, my man, Oswald Chambers, he says it this way. He says, the great enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin. Okay. So we can drop the fire and brimstone thing. The great enemy of the life of God is not sin, but that the good, which is not good enough. The good is always the enemy of the best. I love that phrase. Is good, fine, enough, getting in the way of you actually experiencing God's best for your life? Why do we love good? Because it feels fine. It's, it's, it's okay. There's no real pain points with good. It's decent enough. And yet God is calling us deeper into himself. And he's like, you can sit with good and fine all day long if you want to. If it's nice and comfy, cozy, okay, you can. But I'm offering you something deeper and more transformational and a kingdom that you have never experienced outside of my grace and my goodness. Do you want to say yes to that? Good often disguises itself as a counterfeit opportunity. Let me repeat that. Good often disguises itself as a counterfeit opportunity that cunningly 
strategically withholds God's best. So there is a way of the world that is a, what is a good opportunity? Sometimes good opportunities are actually what my counselor calls counterfeit opportunities. What does that mean? It means that it's not the real thing. So I'm curious for you right now, what seems like a good opportunity? On paper, everything kind of checks out. It makes a lot of sense, a lot of common sense. A lot of people around you are saying, yeah, that sounds awesome. You should totally do that. You should say yes to that job or you should, whatever that is. But this is the question that I want you to be asking the Lord. I want you to say, Lord, is this a counterfeit opportunity or is this your best for me? And get really discerning. Go into that deep internal place and in your heart of hearts, in your knower of knowers, is this thing that's coming for you, is it a counterfeit opportunity that's just good? Or is it a kingdom opportunity that is God's best? That's a fantastic question to be asking in this season of life. You know, it's so natural for us as human beings to stagnate spiritually. We just kind of sit and don't move and grow mold on top of the water, the spiritual waters, because we would prefer to make our own decisions instead of allowing God to choose for us. At least that's, that is common to me. That is common to me. I'm like, you know what? I'm happy making up my own decisions, but at allowing God to choose for you is such a step of faith that requires us to tune our ears to hear from him. There are so many other voices wanting to come in and gain control and influence over us. My last episode was all about what or who are the influences that, that, that are having control, that are having a voice over your life. So go back and listen to that one if you want to do a deep dive and, and evaluate who you are listening to. My, my girl, Lisa Turkhurst, who is the, she's an author and founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries, she says it this way, wonderful and hard often go together when saying yes to God. So this crossroads of wonderful, amazing, and hard, that's just what following Jesus is. So if that's how you're feeling about this life of faith, you're definitely in the right place. It's natural for us to to feel like the call of God seems hard from a, a human perspective, impossible from a human perspective. And yet, if we can begin to see life from God's perspective and position ourselves as, as players in the grand narrative of his greater story, know that we are children of God, then our understanding will evolve. It will grow. It will mature to believe that the call of God, yes, it can be mysterious, but is not for the special few. I've said that in a previous episode as well. It's not for the special few. It's for everyone who's ready to position themselves humbly position themselves to listen. When I was writing this chapter, of course, the the gold standard of did God really say came to me through this horrifying image of Abraham, Abraham preparing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story out of Genesis 22. And we have this picture of, of Abraham and his son, Isaac, hiking up a mountain And, you know, sweet Isaac is noticing that something is missing. He says, Dad, you know, the fire's here, the water here. We're heading up the mountain for this offering, but the sacrificial offering. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I don't, I don't see the sacrifice. 
Oh my gosh. Can you even imagine the tension or the sorrow or the fear that Abraham must have felt in that moment? And he assures his son that God, God's going to provide and they keep walking. So this scene darkens, right? Abraham binds his son, places him on the altar with a knife in his hand and prepares to do what is absolutely horrific, unthinkable, slay his own son to sacrifice as a sacrifice to God. I can't even imagine that moment. And then in a miraculous instant, in an instant, everything changes and the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, all of a sudden, like it cuts through the moment. And Abraham says, here I am. The angel says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't, don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld me from your son, your only son. Ooh, I love getting to that part of the story. I'm like, oh, thank God he didn't have to do it. That's insane. What kind of a God would, would ask that of somebody? Right? There's so many, there's so many questions that come in that moment. And I recently read a perspective from the Glorify app. That's going to be, this is a shout out to the Glorify app. I love listening to that every morning. It's a great meditation and devotional if you're looking for something. But the devotional writers there, they address the question on all of our minds. Why? Why in the world would God make such a horrifying request? And the answer is that he's going to test Abraham's faith. And Abraham passes spectacularly. God was never going to go through with this child's sacrifice. That's contrary to his nature. But he wanted to check Abraham's heart. Did he trust God when it mattered? Abraham is sitting in that moment in his life. Did God really say that I was to march up this mountain with my son and bind him up as if to sacrifice him? That one cuts to the quick, doesn't it? Do I trust God when it really matters? Do you trust God when it really matters? Or are you liable to kind of tuck tail and run back into the world, to the good, to the counterfeit opportunities? Abraham is this model of a man tuned to God's voice, right? We, we have exalted him. He, he appears in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. But I don't want to take this story out of context. So let me go back and highlight a couple of things. Abraham's faith, this unbelievable depth of faith in the face of this cruel test, it does not materialize out of thin air. So this story of Abraham walking up the mountain with his son Isaac is not the first time that we encounter Abraham in the scripture. His son Isaac, who is walking up with him, is a child of the promise. Galatians Chapter 4, verse 28 tells us very clearly that Isaac is the child of the promise. So if we go all the way back to Genesis 15, when Abraham questions God's promise of protection and generational legacy, say God tells him your generational line is going to be like vaster than the number of stars in the universe. And Abraham's like, how can this be? I don't have a son. And God says to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own to inherit everything I'm giving you. Okay. And in this moment, it's a did God really say moment? Because if you're familiar with scripture, you know that Abraham and Sarah concoct a plan for him to sleep with his servant Hagar. And they're like, well, if God really said that I was going to have descendants, then we're going to have to manufacture this because Sarah, girl, you are way too old for this. So he's going to go sleep with his servant. Hagar has Ishmael. That is not the promised son that that God had promised Abraham. So ultimately, 
Abraham and Sarah do have a son, Isaac, in the ripe old age of 90, 100, somewhere up in there. And it's significant because the Lord promised to confirm an everlasting covenant with Isaac and his descendants. You can read this in Genesis 17. Did you catch that? He mentioned Isaac's descendants. God said Isaac. Isaac would eventually have kids. Yes, he told Abraham that he was going to have a son of the promise. He also prophesied that Isaac, the son of the promise, there would be generation after generation. So as Abraham is walking up the mountain, he's remembering what God has already told him. God has already told him, your generations will come from the son of the promise. So Abraham must have known in the anchor of his soul that God was going to provide the ram to get out of there because there was a prophecy, there was a promise that Isaac would have descendants. So I love that deeper dive into that story because it it makes me remember, like, what has God already told me in my life? What has he already shown you in your life? When we begin, when we remember the things that God has done for us, when we remember and we track the promises of God, this is one reason why I'm always saying to write things down, because then you will remember, listen, God already said through scripture, through speaking, through whatever, that this is the promise that he has over my life so I can follow him in faith even when it gets hard. Abraham hears this, he obeys He does not know the outcome, but he believes in the deepest part of his soul that God's going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering. We read that in Genesis 22, verse 8. So can you still believe and walk in faith even when you don't know the outcome? Did God really say? You know, Abraham could have been tempted at any point along the way to veer from the path and swallow that same lie that the the deceiver whispered to Eve in the garden. This is where this phrase comes from. Did God really say, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? Abraham could have easily questioned the command from God to sacrifice his son, and who would even blame him? I could not blame him. That's crazy talk, cruel. But he had a clear and convincing choice. Would he pull back in fear, or would he push forward in faith? Would God provide? Did God really say? This is the most natural of human questions. And yet it is the the fulcrum. It is the, 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 the fulcrum of life on which our whole faith hinges. Our faith hinges on this place of did God really say? The ability to, to question head on and hear God's voice above all others is vital if you want to follow Jesus in this world. So how do you begin to discern his voice? How do you begin to go, did God really say? I'm going to mention that this book that I just published, Untangled Faith, How Honest Conversations with God Lead to Deeper Connections, Clarity, and Peace, this is a book that is written for you to begin to dive deeper into that question. What does God's voice sound like? How does he speak to his people? There is a list of ways that God speaks to his people. In this particular book, I'm talking to you about writing with God, about journaling with God and releasing all of your thoughts and your questions and just going after it in honest conversation with him. Why? So that you can begin to receive his perspective, gain his peace and begin to 
walk out this faith because you have heard from him. If you don't really know how to hear his voice, what does God's voice sound like? I offer you a bookmark. It's, you can go to hearinggodbookmark.com and grab this bookmark. You can print out, slide it in your Bible or your journal. And it has five questions inspired straight from the book of James in scripture that begin that you can tease out as you as you pray and as you meditate and you listen for the Lord. Does this sound like his voice? If you can answer yes to these questions, then it is likely that you are hearing his voice. I want to take a moment to dive into John chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 and I'm going to be reading out of one of my favorite translations the voice translation and it says this I'm actually going to start in verse 1 Jesus is saying I tell you the truth the man who crawls through the fence of the sheep pen rather than walking through the gate is a thief or a vandal so right there he gives us this image of something crawling through the fence Does that remind you of something else that slithers, something else that crawls, that is a deceiver of this world? Verse two, the shepherd walks openly through the entrance. So there's a distinct moment where he's contrasting the slithering, slimy, you know, serpent versus the shepherd who walks openly, chest out, chin up, straight through the gate, confident. The guard who is posted to protect the sheep opens the gate for the shepherd and the sheep hear his voice. What a beautiful image. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse four, when all the sheep have been gathered, he walks on ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Imagine that right now as you're listening to this, Jesus has opened the gate for you. He is the door, the gate, opening you to full, abundant life. He's walking ahead of you. He's turning to you. He's looking at you. He's smiling and he begins to speak to you. He's calling you by name and he's leading you. You know his voice. Verse five, the sheep would not be willing to follow a stranger. They run because they do not know the voice of a stranger. Here's what we know from this passage. Number one, we are God's sheep. You are his children. You are his followers. Therefore, if you are God's sheep, his children, his flock, you are loved, grounded, chosen, and worthy. You can bank on that. Number two, God's children, his sheep, hear his voice. This is something that I will hit on over and over again throughout these messages and in this podcast because that's the crux of the Christian journey. We can hear his voice. Communication is not only possible, but is promised to us. If I go back to what did God promise to Abraham? That he would have descendants. What is God promising to you? You can hear his voice. Number three, God calls us each by name. There's a personal intimacy as he calls each name, and but he leads us together. There's a corporate unity available to us. So how are you hearing him for yourself, intimately, individually? And then where are you finding that corporate unity? Where are you finding a Christian community that is healthy, that is honest, that is vulnerable, that is seeking the Lord together? I pray that that becomes available to you, whether that's a church, 
some kind of life group, something. What is that where you can find that corporate unity available to you? It's so important in this human life, in this human journey of faith. Number four, God goes ahead of us. He is our sovereign guide. There's this image of Jesus opening the gate, walking through and walking ahead of his sheep. He's our sovereign guide into the unknown. The sheep don't know where they're going. They just see, hey, here's the gate. Here's the shepherd. We know his voice. And because we know his voice and we trust him, we can follow him, even if it is into an unknown space. Therefore, we can trust. You can trust and follow him. And then lastly, we have the opportunity to get to know his voice, which is distinct from all others. There's this moment that we can follow Jesus and dismiss all the other lesser voices. Did God really say, that is the internal work that I am inviting you into today? Beginning to know the voice of God, open up the scriptures, open up your Bible, begin to pray, listen for his voice, study what does God's voice sound like? How do, how do people determine counterfeit bills? By studying the real thing. So as you study the real thing, as you study the scriptures, the voice of God, as you study the character and the life of Jesus, you will begin to know what his voice sounds like so that you can dismiss the other lesser counterfeit voices in your life. You won't be influenced by the world because you will be influenced by Jesus. All right. Did God really say? I'm going to leave you with three questions that you can ask yourself as you do this deep work of listening to the Lord so that you can begin to answer for yourself. Well, did God really say this? Here's number one. If what you're hearing is what you're hearing consistent with scripture. So if you're praying or hearing something in your mind and in your thoughts, can you open the Bible? Can you go to scripture and confirm it? Does this sound like something that's consistent with scripture, what God says, who he is in the Bible? That's number one. Question number two, is what you're hearing consistent with the character and teachings of Jesus? So Jesus is the son of God. He is the deliverer, the savior of all mankind. So is what you're hearing consistent with who he is, what he said and how he operated? If you can say yes to that, then perhaps God, God really did say that. And then thirdly, is it something that you couldn't have or wouldn't have thought of on your own? There's, it's so often God will say something and you'll be thinking, man, I would not in my flesh, in my brokenness, in my selfishness, I would not think this. So God's voice is often calling us into a place of servanthood, into a place of mercy and grace and love and kindness. And my flesh likes to withhold. When I am tired, frustrated, whatever, You know, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to withhold these reserves. I'm going to live out of scarcity mentality because I don't know you know, when I'm going to get, going to get my next opportunity to be safe and cozy inside and this is triggering me for whatever reason. If something's coming to you that you couldn't have or wouldn't have thought of on your own, then go to scripture, go to the character and teachings of Jesus. If this is something that you're hearing, it's likely God's voice. Did God really say, listen, God is not out to confuse you or trick you. 
He will test you, but he does not tempt you with something that's outside of his character. He's not out to deceive you or lie to you. God is kind and compassionate and gracious and generous, and his love is for you. He cares for you. Jesus tells us very clearly that we just need to go seek and ask and knock. And God's not going to give you a bad gift. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, listen, if you who are sinful, you parents who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father in heaven, who's perfect, how much more does he know how to give good gifts to your his children? He wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. This is not some divine game of hide and seek where you might miss him if you're not looking hard enough. He's there. It's open. He's ready and waiting to connect with you. Give yourself grace during this process. And I'll leave you with this final quote from John O'Donohue. It says, The sound of God is often no louder than the beating of your heart, and it's very easy to miss it. To live a conscious life, we need to constantly refine our listening. So that's what I'm going to invite you to do today is to refine your listening skills. Did God really say? I know that I'm talking to some of you that were like rebel kids that are like, you know what? Did mom and dad really say that we're not supposed to do that? Oh, we know what that feels like, right? But if you want to be in line with God's best for your life, not the good of the world or the counterfeit of the world, but God's best, then it is important to dive into this work. Did God really say? And if he really said, then what does it look like to walk that out? All right. God bless you guys. Can't wait to dive in next time. Thank you so much for listening. If this episode challenged or inspired you, I would be honored if you would rate it and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts so others can hang out with us too. If you'd like to connect at a deeper level, you can find me on Instagram at Megan underscore Nilsen or head to my website, MeganBNilsen.com and schedule a free curiosity and connection call. Let's keep the conversation going.